Well, good morning, everybody. So good to see you here this morning. Let's take our copy of the Bible, if you would, and go to Galatians chapter 5, would you? Galatians 5. I think Matt referenced this a moment ago. Uh, but for the benefit of our guests, we are in a, in a fairly atypical pattern uh, for these last six weeks. We are concluding today a six-week examination of what we've been calling the basic sort of our core values and practices as a church and uh, what, why we do what we do, um, what it is specifically, how that looks. And uh, it is, we have acknowledged, not our preferred teaching method. And so we will return, Lord willing, we look forward to being in uh, the first chapter of Matthew where we will be for some time. That'll start next week. And so we will resume sort of that systematic working through books of the Bible. But we've seen some value, particularly in a new home like this, just to sort of not so much hit reset, but just to clarify again what it is that we are aspiring to be as a church, how we intend to care for one another, and uh, what, how we intend to draw from the Lord what presence we would hope to have in our new community. And so particularly for those of you who may be new to us, this is a way of of sort of hitting a little, uh, just, just clarifying a little bit what we are about. Today we will be answering, or at least attempting to answer the question, how does a Christian serve in a church like this that is, that is not program driven? We're gonna explain all those terms as we work through that. Very fair question and one that I think warrants some examination. We're gonna start in Galatians chapter five, and if you were with us last year, you're probably thinking, didn't we spend a whole year in Galatians? And we did, uh, but we are gonna look at just a few verses in the middle of the fifth chapter, so you'll find your place there. Galatians chapter five, beginning verse 13, down to verse 15. Scripture says this. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. This is the word of the Lord. Well, any time we can come to the end of a day, particularly a Lord's Day, with a fuller apprehension of the gospel and the actual effects that the gospel has in our lives, that is a good day. Any time we can, we can look back on a day and say, on, during this day, I have a, a fuller, clearer apprehension of what was secured for me in Christ, what we have by grace that we know through the sheer mercy of God, that we have been freed from sin's dominion, that the consequences of our sin have likewise been covered, that we've been counted righteous in Christ, and that his posture toward us now in Christ, as our lives are hidden with Christ in God, un united to him, that his posture toward us is complete favor, not disappointment, not grief, and certainly not condemnation. He is for us in Christ as we bear the righteousness of Christ, that we are redeemed, bought back, purchased by grace, adopted into his family so that we can sing as we did today, boldly, I approach my father as beloved sons and daughters, not as outsiders, not just as acquitted criminals, 
but as beloved children that we've been adopted, that we've been, ran- we sing this, ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven, that God does not condemn you anymore. It is a good day, anytime. Our minds are occupied and refreshed in these glorious themes. I just want you to know, before we get to this theme today, how important it is, you must know that Jesus loves you, Christian. Because we're gonna be dealing with work and we're gonna be dealing with sacrifice. We're gonna be dealing today with the the hard work of ministry. What Paul sometimes described as pouring out his life like a drink offering. Sometimes that takes work. And what we don't wanna conflate or confuse is that this is how we earn the favor of God. You don't make God happy by stacking chairs. You don't make God happy by fixing meals for new moms. You don't secure the smile of God through fulfilling some calling or discipline within the church. That is secure in Christ. And until it's clear, we are in no position to talk about worship or life purpose or calling or discipleship or obedience or ethical living, and certainly not in a position to talk about service until we know, until we have strength, as Paul prayed, to comprehend with all the saints, Ephesians 3, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, until we know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So we must know, if you have, and only if you have, turned in faith and repentance to Christ, you, you have walked away from your sin. You have found in Christ a merciful Savior, and you have turned to him in faith and repentance. You must know that you are loved by God. Only a person who lives in that security can confidently embrace the role of a servant. Only then can we risk the indignity of foot washing. If we know we are in Christ, then we are freed at that point to take the lower seat and pour our lives out in ministry to the body, irrespective and certainly not anticipating to gain anything from that. I can think of a whole cluster of responsive verbs to grace. Worship, rest, rejoicing, trusting, praising, But I suppose one of the less talked about or less considered verb to grace is the one we see here in the middle of Galatians chapter five. The verb serve. In love, serve one another. Well, if you were with us uh, last year, you know that Brent Blake preached this text for us back in May and made the point very strongly, sort of early in the message that liberty was not the point of liberty. And after warning us of the ditches, the very dangerous ditches of legalism and of license, he addressed this verse and made this point, that the way you demonstrate a right understanding of your freedom is by the way you love one another, and love means service. Can I say that again? 
Because I, I do think that's sort of a thrust of this section here. The way you demonstrate a right understanding of freedom, remember parenthetically, this was a church that was, had been really impacted by the heresy of works righteousness, specifically Judaism. They, they felt like the, the works that they did sort of compounded or added to the favor of God. It didn't negate completely the work of grace. It only added to it. And that augmentation was to diminish grace and to actually nullify grace. So that was the confusion. So he is saying, you're freed from that. The way that you demonstrate a right understanding of your freedom is by the way you love one another and love means service. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. So that I think is a concise summary of our thesis. As people who have been freed from law keeping as the basis for your acceptance, through love, serve one another. So if you just want to log away just a phrase for meditation going into this week, could I just suggest that short phrase? Through love, serve one another. You were made for that. You, you omit love from this, it's gonna feel hard, it's gonna, be, it's gonna feel regimented, it will, not be, uh, it will not be spirit prompted if it is negating love. Out of love, sacrificial, self-denying love for your neighbor, serve one another. And I would say that would apply irrespective of ministry philosophy. Any true church, would have to check off and amen that statement. As people who have been freed from the burden of law keeping as the basis for our acceptance through love, serve one another. So that would apply if a church is heavily programmatic or if a church follows a simple model as we aspire to do here. We are very careful to say and probably maybe overemphasize this point, we don't apologize for it, this like other areas, this is not a gospel level practice. This is the, we believe, a scripturally defensible methodology. We believe um, that's what we are to do here, but we speak of it in terms of simplicity. That is the language we prefer. So when we speak of a church that is not program driven, what do we mean? A little explanation may be in order there. How do, how do we describe our relationship to um, what's been called programs in churches? And I've already alluded to it. The simple answer is just that. We value simplicity. We value simplicity. So you may hear these uh, terms used interchangeably. I'll probably use them interchangeably even in this message. Um, we've said we are not program-driven. You may hear the term under-programmed. Um, but what we really mean is we are aspiring to a simple model of ministry. And practically what that looks like on a weekly basis here is that we have limited gatherings, uh, a fairly a streamlined uh, calendar. Our Sundays tend to be somewhat, t uh, somewhat t simple. I mean, even the architecture of this building that we are so grateful to occupy is a simple structure. There's, this is, there's just not a lot of complexity to it. The, the church maybe that you're more familiar with and so many of us were uh, served by and grew up in and benefited from a more conventional model would have a lot of different things happening on the property at one time. Well, right now, 
There's one thing happening. On, and it, it, we're all together and I'm preaching. In fact, anywhere you go in the building, you're going to see me on screens there. We tell you, I mean, you can go just about anywhere. I think maybe the bathrooms, there aren't screens in there. But beyond that, just about everywhere. If you want to get away from my face today, there's a gas station up here I can point you to. But, uh, we, but there is one thing happening in this room and that is the way we typically do it. I would know, so we don't have beginners or primary, pre-primary, middle school. We don't have a wanna, um, even nursery. So it, it's, a, it's a simple uh, structure. So as far as full church gatherings go, what we mean by that is we maintain a fairly streamlined schedule. Very few recurring events. We have home groups meet on Wednesdays. We have several gatherings for women uh, in the mornings on uh, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. We have theology breakfast meets here on Fridays. Um, I mentioned weekly home groups. Those happen primarily on Wednesdays and Fridays. Uh, once a month, we have a meeting and we cycle through three quarterly meetings, members, men, and women. And most of the meetings that we have, most of the gatherings that we have, uh, carry a kind of hospitality ethos. So a lot of it's happening in homes. Uh, people in, in their homes are meeting, uh, meeting in parks at, at some points. They've had play dates. People have gotten to, together at Victor Ash or the place, coffee shops. Uh, Chick-fil-A, as the scripture uh, instructs us. So we, um, and uh, meetings like that in informal settings that have sort of the feel of hospitality. Now you can see the disconnect, and this is sort of our basic argument for what we're doing. If our philosophy says, serve and minister. If philosophically we say, be hospitable, but our calendar really won't permit it. Uh, then you have to question how committed we really are to a philosophy of hospitality. So, and, and there are other things. We don't, we, don't want to, we don't want to crowd out other ministry, evangelistic opportunities, inv in, investing in your community, meeting your unbelieving neighbors, having a date night periodically, gentlemen. If you don't know what that is, would you see me afterwards, please? Uh, uh, taking your wife out for dinner, taking care of uh, serving in that way. If, if we have so packed the weekly calendar so that those kinds of things aren't really plausible, then you have to question whether our philosophy is what it says it is. So, and at points we will even encourage uh, from time to time, if your work schedule is so taxing and so demanding that it keeps you away from your family day after day after day after day, we have at points actually encouraged you that it would be imprudent for you to be involved in certain aspects here. You probably need to go on a walk with your wife and you probably need to spend a little time with your kids and that would be, Altogether appropriate. So an underprogrammed church focuses its time and energies and resources on a few scripturally mandated priorities. So what we, we say from Galatians uh, chapter five, uh, in love, serving one another, it's gonna look a lot like this. Among these priorities would be worship, prayer, hospitality, ministry of the word, evangelism. And we hope that this schedule fits our mission. So we will often tell you that our mission, as we understand it scripturally as a church, we exist to glorify God by communicating the gospel, maturing believers, and equipping them for Christ-like service. So anything that we're going to do uh, in terms of gatherings and meetings should sort of fall under that rubric. We exist to bring God glory by communicating the gospel maturing believers and equipping them for Christ-like service. So we try to be a little more deliberate, a little more careful 
regarding adding church-wide gatherings to our calendar. The purpose of that, uh, everything we do, should sort of fall under those simple priorities. And the purpose of a less crowded calendar is not a less crowded calendar so we have fewer things to do. It's not so that you're freed up to watch Jeopardy and play Mario Kart or whatever it is you would do. And uh, It is our hope that you are freed up schedule-wise to minister in ways that are prompted by the Spirit of God um, and less, um, less top-down, if that, that makes sense. A little more intentional ministry. So the question becomes, what if a program does not exist? How do we serve? Well, there is a short answer to that question and there is a long answer to that question. You say, which are we going to get? And I'm like, which do you think you're going to get? So the... the um, the short answer is an under-programmed church. The answer to it is, well, you just serve. That would be the simple answer. How do I serve in a church where there's not a lot of structure and uh, committees and, and teams that I can formally join? How do I serve in an under-programmed church? I'm going to say, you, you simply serve. The way I've said it over the years is, You don't have to be a member of the clogging federation in order to clog. You can just clog. You you don't don't have to belong to a team. You can just free yourself. Now, I've watched some of y'all at weddings and probably could benefit maybe from some coaching on that. But uh, you're freed up and authorized to, to serve. Now, that would be the short answer. Let me, let me give you just a basis, sort of a defense, and we're not being defensive when I say that. Why simplify? What, why do we do what we do? Well, a number of reasons. The first is this. We feel like this model limits distractions, promoting oneness of purpose. We want, we want all of us sort of aiming in the same, same direction. Limits distractions, promoting oneness of purpose. What is the chief end of man? I always am, uh, this, this happened a few years ago. While I was preaching, I asked the question, what is the chief end of man? And there are so many young people who are being discipled so well by their moms and dads that I heard a couple of kids say, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And that'd be perfectly fine to respond to that. The chief end, the primary purpose of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. If that is true individually, it ought be true corporately. So we want a singleness, kind of a unity of direction and purpose. The argument we've pointed to is sort of the same as the physics behind a screwdriver and a wood screw. All the force of your energy pressing in in one direction. Uh, That limitation brings focus and power. my favorite illustration is up here at Watts Bar, Douglas Dam, some of these. The, the full force of all that water backed up against that dam, bearing down on that little hydroelectric sluice, that limitation brings focus and brings power. So that would be sort of a simple reason for this. We want all of us thinking and aiming, considering, praying, and working in the same Direction. We know that it's so easy to get scattered that we really could lose what we're about. And so we don't want that to be the case. So, and our hope is that it will shape culture. Number two, it allows for scripturally fenced liberty regarding ministry. We said, what in the world does that mean? Scripturally fenced liberty. So within the confines of what is scriptural and fits our philosophical commitments, you're gonna encounter, hopefully, a kind of a posture of 
permissiveness in this. I mean, that definitely needs explanation. If there's a desire to serve in a particular way, we want to be cocked in, in the direction of affirmation. If there's a desire, you've prayed about it, you've sought counsel, you feel a, a desire to serve in this way, we want to encourage and actually fan into flame those, those desires. So we're going to default to an enthusiastic yes. So it frees us or allows for scripturally fenced liberty regarding ministry. Now, there are some limits. An obvious example for these Sunday gatherings is that we aspire to be a regulative body. So we want our, the things that we do, not only to not be prohibited in Scripture, that would certainly be one thing, we want them to actually be directed from Scripture. So we want to draw out the things we're doing and say this is, this is expressly called for by God as a church. So we feel like most everything we do on Sundays, we can point to scripture in context that calls for it. We pray together, we worship together, we sing songs together, we even greet one another, there's scriptural direction for that. We open God's word together, we come to the Lord's table together. So there are things that you probably will never see here, in fact, quite certainly will never see on, uh, on our a platform here on Sunday gatherings because there's just no scriptural basis for it. We don't, why, why do we not have skits? Because I don't, I've never heard Paul talk about a skit. You know, there, there's, um, so we're, we're hoping to draw out scriptural priorities there. So that, that really is what we mean by scripturally fenced liberty. But beyond that, we have found that some of the most effective ministry that's happened in this body has happened spontaneously and at the initiative of people who have prayed and sought the Lord and desired for it. There, a few, number of years ago, uh, a handful of ladies came and said, we would just love to give time to reading serious books together. And I, I, sometime back, I saw the list of books that they've read. I mean, I, I mean serious theological works. And have worked through that over time, and it has formed a vital community. Some of that's happening uh, now on Wednesdays with young women, and Friday mornings, the same thing. That is... Drawing out of initiative. We, Matt and I began Theology Breakfast however many years ago it, it has been. And again, that, that drew out of an appetite within the body for just this kind of thing. So it allows for scripturally fenced liberty regarding ministry. Number three, it calls for a spirit-led attentiveness to needs and opportunities both inside and outside the body. This requires and really calls for us to be wide awake, eyes open, attentive to, to needs. It really requires that. In fact, the only way that this is gonna effectively serve this body is if we as members of the body are attentive to needs wherever we find them. And that is not particular to the elders and deacons, that really is all of us. All of us being aware of, and, and, uh, and you are preauthorized as you find a need to pour in to those kinds of needs. So we often will say it this way, there is an element of risk if you're gonna structure a church this way, because we really are counting on the spirit prompting people toward, toward ministry. So. We'll get to this toward the end of the message. We're just gonna press you to approach not only the Lord's day. We often will talk about the Lord's day. 
I, you, you've heard me say this for years. This is our day to minister. But I could text you on Thursday and say, this is your day to minister. Every day is a day to pour your life out in ministry. So um, it requires us to have our eyes open. Where are their needs in the body? And I'm going to tell you if, you, if, if you gave 90 seconds to that question right now, just knowing what you know, if you gave 90 seconds, where are there needs that exist within this body right now? It would surprise me if we didn't come up just spontaneously with six, seven, eight, nine, ten needs without even thinking very, very hard. So, spirit-led, spirit-prompted, attentiveness to needs and opportunities. Number four, it functions. This model, this simple model, functions on the belief that the church is best served as each member of the body gifted and empowered by God's spirit fulfills their ministry to the glory of God and the service of people. There's no way you got that written down, but it, I'll say it again. It functions on the belief that the church is best served as each member of the body. Incidentally, I'm gonna assume you know that that body imagery is, uh, is scriptural terminology, that the church is referred to as a body. You see that certainly in Romans chapter 12. You see it in 1 Corinthians 13 or 1 Corinthians um, 12. And uh, that, that language is useful. So the body, each member of the body, gifted and empowered by God's spirit, fulfills their ministry to the glory of God in the service of people. A simpler way to say this, and this probably should have been the way I worded the point, God cares for the body through the body. You get that? God cares for the body through the body. We take care of one another. That's how we would summarize. Now, I've referenced already several times the spirit of God directing and empowering. There's a reason for that. We believe that is Pauline language, uh, that ministry happens as the spirit directs in this way and, gives, and equips people for these kinds of calling. It, uh, it is not just in... In Paul's writings, but beyond that, there's enough there to conclude that we believe this is the way God intended for the church to operate and for ministry to occur. I mentioned uh, Romans chapter 12. 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, starting about verse 12 and following there. Just as, listen to this, listen to this is really vivid imagery. Just as the body is one and has many members, he would ask somewhere else, is Christ divided I love that rhetorical question. No, he's not divided. One body. We are all one body. So just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and are all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear were to say, because I'm not the eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each of them as he has chosen. And I can tell you, after three decades of serving the church, this is one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in my life. 
It is glorious to see the church operate as a body. It is the beauty of what Christ has redeemed. Seeing people with particular gifts and strengths and proclivity and attentiveness to needs. Things that Matt and I could never do. Yet yet in terms of practical, life-giving ministry, I'm telling you, it happens all the time. And can I just encourage you in this way? Most of it, you will never hear about. Most of it, I will never hear about. I just, just while we were greeting one another, one of the brothers came up and said, you know, a couple of guys at the church, uh, from the church yesterday just pouring into my family, taking care of some needs there, some things I wasn't able to get taken care of, and they're helping that way. That, that is quietly done in ministry to the body. That is the beauty of the body of Christ. And this is, it functions on that belief that this is how the ch- church is best served. God cares for the body through the body. Number five, it frees church members to use their God-given strengths for gospel purposes. Now, by the way, there's a fair amount of overlap here. I acknowledge that. It frees church members to use their God-given strengths for gospel purposes. So this is going to require a fair amount of self-awareness. How has God used you in the past? That's a fair question. And, and this, I, I should say, for everybody here, this would be a really useful uh, discipline to, um, to promote, is being attentive when you're on the receiving end of that. I got a, a text this week. It was enormously con- and encouraging to me. So when that happens, I want to respond and go, brother, sister, I want you to know the Lord used that. I want you to know the Lord used you to serve my soul. So I think uh, feedback like that can be really helpful. And so, but it requires people knowing how might God use me in the body? And this, this may involve some specific skills or it may just be the, the way the Lord has shaped you by grace. There are some people who are by nature merciful. And I mean, when, when, they, when they walk in, their hearts are drawn to, toward the suffering. And I don't know how to explain it other than to attribute it to the Spirit's work. But people are comforted by their presence, even if they don't open their, their mouths. I don't, I've, I've watched people go into hospital rooms, and I don't know how else to explain it other than the Lord just promotes peace by their presence in the hospital room. I've also seen other <laughs> examples where, brother, you don't believe belong in the hospital. You know, you go clean gutters or something. But don't, don't, there's, um, a, there are needs and particular gifts that God uses. So it frees church members to use their God-given gifts for gospel purposes. Matt alluded to this last week uh, from Ephesians chapter four. And God gave to the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So I think the way he said it or something to this, uh, along this vein, all Christians are ministers. So if, if you are a Christian, you are in ministry. You are meant to minister. It's the, it's the responsibility, the duty of these, particularly these gatherings and those who have uh, ministry gifts like the, uh, the team that helps us lead in worship, those of us who preach, 
to kindle a fire and to encourage and equip and train and give instruction and, and, then, and then propel you out into the world in ministry. So the, the, the leaders of the church are to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And this, this whole model sort of hinges on your willingness to embrace that as a scriptural model. So how does that happen? Let me give you just a few things, seven of them, and not, well, we won't take near the time that we have to this point. The first is pray. Um, if, you're, if your first impulse is to jump right in and start doing something, I might just encourage you uh, not to dismiss this too quickly. Take this before the Lord. I mean, what, what would be wrong with a simple prayer like this? Lord, I want to be a blessing. <laughs> I want to be a blessing in this community. I want... Uh, those I'm around to be served, would you give me direction? Would you give me eyes to see? Would you help me? Would you equip me for this, this work? Make this a matter of prayer. We want everything we do to be influenced and just sort of have the, the fragrance of time spent before the Lord in ministry. So the first thing I would encourage you to do is take this to the Lord, particularly if the Lord's given you a particular desire. There's a, a type of evangelism that you would like to encourage and promote and be a part of. If, there's, um, if you feel a desire to teach, you know, let's, and take that before the Lord. Let's, let's see, are there ways that, we can, um, that he would direct us in that way? So um, first, take it before the Lord. Number two, and this is related to the first. This may be as vital as anything I'm going to say today. Surrender. That is, make available your strengths and weaknesses for God's service. What I'm, what I'm asking you to do here is to view all of life in terms of stewardship. What do you have? You're, you're not responsible for what you don't have. But you are responsible to steward what you do have. So what, what's before you in terms of strengths? Not just strengths, but weaknesses. Surrender, release control of, steward wisely your strengths and weakness in service to the people of God and for God's glory. This is, you know this, the reasonable response to mercy. Romans chapter 12, verses one and two. I appeal to you, after this full gospel summary, I appeal to you, brothers. Based on the mercies of God, because God has been kind to you, based on the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, your physical bodies, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So, I, I mean, it's just something as simple as saying, Lord, by the way, a young person can do this. A young person. I, I, I mean, if you, if, if, you are, if you are old enough and mature enough to hear, understand, and submit to the authority of Christ, you have turned in faith and repentance to him. You belong to him. You can pray this prayer. Lord, my life's yours. My life is yours with all of its strengths and with all of its weaknesses, with all my capabilities, all my deficiencies. My life is yours. Would you just use me? Use my hands and my mouth and my eyes and my feet and just use me for your name. That is what it means to surrender, to make available your body with strengths and weaknesses. So it may be helpful to think of it that way. Think in terms of 
stewardship. What do I have? I saw a bumper sticker, and this, this makes me laugh. Um, bumper stickers really make me laugh. And this one's, uh, I, I don't like it, but it was funny. Um, the bumper sticker says, yes, this is my truck. And no, I won't help you move. That's right. <laughs> Obviously, this is somebody who's been asked a lot of times. Yes, I, I, but I'm busy every weekend. Um, it's a little funny and a little sassy. But uh, uh, stewardship says, no, this, church, this, this truck is not mine. This truck belongs to the Lord. This is, listen, it was given to me. What do I have that I have not received? So this, this came to me as a gift from God, and I want to steward it. So how can I use this vehicle for God's glory? You say, Ronnie, I, I'm just so limited. I'm not sure you can point to a call narrative. Do you know what I mean when I speak of call narratives? When, when, when people are called to particular ministries. I don't think you can point to a call narrative in Scripture where there's not some awareness of limits, right? Isaiah. And Isaiah 6. The year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and lifted up. His train filled the temple, and above it stood the seraphim, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, two he covered his feet, two he flew. And they, they cried, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And, and what did Isaiah say? Woe is me. I'm pretty sure this is going to kill me. Woe is me. Why? I'm a man of, I don't talk, I, I'm a man of unclean lips. There's something wrong with the way I speak and everybody I live around. Everybody I live around. I live amidst the people of unclean lips. But here I am. Know what he said? Strengths and weaknesses. Here I am. Who will go? Who will, who will I send? Lord, I'm available. Moses. What, hey, hey go, to, go to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. Well, Lord, you know how I talk. I can't talk right. What did God say? Hey, who made your mouth, Moses? Who makes one man mute and another man speaking? Don't, I, I know your mouth. I made your mouth. So our limits are no problem for God. You come with your strengths and your weaknesses. Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter one. Lord, I can't speak for I'm a child. What does God say? Don't say I'm a child. I've set you apart from before your infancy, even in the womb. I'd set you apart. So strengths and weaknesses. Ronnie, you, if you knew my past... Can I just encourage you to steward your path, past, for God's glory? All of your griefs, all of your sorrows, how, well, the, the measures that God took to restore you, I'm telling you, this church needs it. Strengths and weaknesses. I, I'd be surprised if there is not a, a you, you, you could not point to a difficulty in your life where there would not be particular avenues for ministry within this body, probably within arm's reach of many of you. Divorce, miscarriage, financial disruption, bankruptcy, infertility, a willingness to say, Lord, my, Lord, my life is yours. 
I'll carry my sorrows in, and I'll, I'll steward all of it for your namesake. That was God's early assurance to Abram in Genesis chapter 12. He said, I'm going to make you a great nation, and I'm going to bless you, and you will be a blessing. I will bless you that you may bless others. Now, obviously, the promised deliverer was the fullest expression of that. But the Lord blesses us that we may be a blessing, that we could pour our lives out in ministry. That's number two. Number three, walk in the Spirit. Keep your eyes open. Walk in the Spirit, that is under the Spirit's rule, submissive to his authority, attentive to his voice, uh, living out the directives of Scripture. Walk in the Spirit and keep your eyes open. I think a lot of times we miss these things just because our eyes aren't open to it. We're just not noticing. We're so centered on what's going on in our lives and what the things that I'm, my next task and what all that I'm doing that we don't even, there's just no awareness of the needs around us. So, walk in the Spirit, keep your eyes open. Again, a fair amount of overlap in these particular themes. When you're walking in submission to the Spirit, it's very often the Lord may press you in a particular direction. And I, I've, I've seen people who, when they are walking in the Spirit, their first impulse is to serve in some kind of practical way. I don't understand fully how the, the Lord does this. When I, when I am walking in submission to the Lord's rule, I, I want to open God's word, prepare to preach, and then preach. It's been that way since I was 19. I, what what, what the Lord prompts or presses you into a direction when you are serving or submitting to his rule. Walk in the spirit, keep your eyes open. If you're submitted to his rule, then where the Lord directs, serve, cook, give, teach, organize, exhort, extend mercy, words of encouragement. Our buddy who we miss, Rick Lyles, I've, I've never seen a man who leveraged his data package the way he did. I mean, he... he seized his data package for ministry purposes. And so many of you have saved texts on your phone where he has reached out in ministry to you. So uh, when you are submitted to the rule of, of, of the Lord, uh, you, uh, being attentive to, responsive to the Spirit's direction. And I would attribute all that to the Spirit's care for the church. The church needs thinkers and talkers and teachers, but that is not all she needs. That is not all she needs. If all she has is thinkers and talkers and teachers, there's a lot of necessary ministry that'll never get done. And so how has God shaped you in that way? I believe it does shape culture. This goes to unity, doesn't it? Where, where you show me a church where people are using their gifts, submitted to the Lordship of Christ, and pouring their lives out in ministry to one another, I think there's going to be a fair amount of unity across the body there. Because the culture is going to be, Romans chapter 12, we're out doing one another and showing honor. We're serving, blessing, taking the lower seat, encouraging, pressing people toward the Lord, and ministering. I've said it over the years, I... I don't think I've ever mediated a conflict between a husband and wife who are trying to out-meek one another. And I haven't mediated a conflict in a church where members are trying to out-honor one another 
in ministry, pouring them li- their lives out, being attentive to needs, pouring their lives out in ministry. Number four, find a need and meet it. You knew I was gonna say that, didn't you? Uh, find a need and meet it. Um, and I, I will say, you do this in a way that I, th- I feel like is extraordinary. I've watched this just attentiveness. Something will happen here. A, a, a mess will form. I'll see somebody dart out there and grab the mop and take care of it. And uh, just in the, in the last few weeks, I've seen this over and over and over again. Uh, we don't need a bless the widow's month for widows to be served. We don't need 40 days of housekeeping for somebody to say to a harried mom, hey, can I come help you for a morning? Serve and help around the house. You just do it. Serve, give, write a note, open your home, rake, encourage, paint, text, arrange lunch, buy gift cards, evangelize. Help a young mom fix her kid's plate back here. How they do that with, why? I, I can do one thing at a time. Like I got one thing in front of me, I, can, I cannot do more than one thing. I, what I, I've watched some of you ladies do is amazing. I've, I've said this about, about Bridget, when, particularly when our kids were small. Boy, she could she wash dishes and saute something over here and, and uh, comfort a crying kid here and pet the dog with her foot. And I, I get, be attentive to needs. Pour them, your, your life out in meeting, uh, ministry. Find a need and... Meet it. Contact absentees. We don't have a committee for that. You are deputized. Do it by all means. You, you're missing somebody it wouldn't hurt if they got three or four texts this afternoon. And again, I think you have done this extremely well. So I would commend you and encourage you to persist in that work. If Matt could quote an animated bug last week from The Bug's Life, I can quote a singing candlestick today from Beauty and the Beast. Lumineer, life is so unnerving for a servant who's not serving. He's not whole without a soul to wait upon. So, attentive to needs. So just asking the question, how might God use me to the glory of God in service to his people? Number five, focus your energies outward and upward. Again, language you are so familiar with, but I'll say it again. Focus your energies outward and upward. The one direction we are not encouraging is a kind of introspective work, looking outward and looking upward. Of course, you know that from the two commandments of the law, Matthew chapter 22, the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, and one of them came to him, a lawyer, and said, what is the great commandment of the law, teacher? Two, he, quote, he references two. Deuteronomy 6, the Shema, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like it. You're to love your neighbor as yourself. So that's where we get the language of, be, of focusing outward and upward. Outward in ministry, upward in worship. There's a, uh, there's a Latin phrase, you've Padea folks can correct me on this. Curvitas inse, if I get the, uh, the pronunciation wrong. Uh, to curve inward. I can tell you the most consistently dissatisfied, grieving people, like the people who live in a, in a it very often is the case, where they have just so turned inward 
And I would say the inverse is also the truth. The people who I would say are most consistently joyful and self-effacing are those people who have said, I'm hanging myself up and I'm looking for other people to minister to and serve. Turn your focus outward and upward. We don't do it for the affection we receive, but I can tell you that, is, that will endear you to the community if, if you come in with a heart outward. Those who live like this are dear to us. An old poem, the wretch considered all in self, living shall forfeit fair renown and doubly dying shall go down to the vile dust from which he sprung unwept, unhonored, and unsung. We just don't miss folks whose lives are just so centered on themselves, but we prize as precious those who have, who are poured their lives out in, in ministry. And again, all kinds of ways that happens. There, there are, there's one brother here who just understands coffee and we benefit from that twice a month here. We benefit each week from men with a background in security. I mean, trained men in security. And they, they walk through this a building with eyes towards security. It's why we had to cut a window in this uh, hallway here because people who are attentive to ministry said we need to be able to look down that hall and, and do, you, do y'all worry when you walk in here? I don't either. You don't have to worry because there are people here who are trained to worry for all of us and they do and their eyes are open to that. That's ministry to the body. Some have taken extraordinary, I mean extraordinary measures to serve people where their homes are in deep, deep need of help and have poured out weeks and in some cases months of ministry in that and caring for people. So often you, you see, I mentioned young moms who could use help and, and you have helped in that, that way. When the snow hit, we don't have a widows and orphans team, but we have at least one brother who was thinking not only his driveway, but also who's gonna clear her driveway. Loaded his shovel up, headed over there, cleared the driveway. I heard of a couple just this week that had made it a determination on Sundays. They're going to move around across this auditorium and specifically make it a focus, not to uh, prioritize time with people they know, but people they don't know. That's a ministry mindset. Some of you I know have, by grace, navigated all the seasons of parenthood. I'm telling you, there are young families that could benefit from your ministry, your, your willingness. And some of that I know is happening, particularly among our ladies, the older women teaching the younger women. You say, Ronnie, I haven't done it well. Maybe you've done it poorly. Steward it all in ministry to others. I can't say that these experiences, even the hard experiences, were necessarily meant for the service of others, but they might be. So I would say steward it all. Steward it all. The books you've read, the mistakes you've made, the lessons you've learned and the scars that you carry. A willingness to serve the body in that way. All a stewardship leveraged in service to others. Number six, serve joyfully. Serve joyfully. Ministry is too great a privilege to not enjoy it. So I would say it's actually better to leave a job undone than to do it with a grumbling heart. It is a it is a pleasure. It is a joy to minister. Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. Whatever you do, work heartily 
as for the Lord, not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, Colossians 3. We learned it from Truett Cathy, didn't we? Every, 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 it is my pleasure. It is my pleasure to serve, and I think that is the heart posture of a servant. First Peter chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. Show hospitality without grumbling. That's practical scripture. Look, open your home, welcome people into your home, and don't complain about it. Do it it with joy. As each has received a gift, this is stewardship language, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied or multicolored grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Last point, remember that God sees. Remember that God sees. Listen, you're never, you're never, you're never meant to be applauded anyway. You're, you're, you, if, it, if it's not affirmed, if it's not noted, if it's not highlighted the Lord sees Hebrews chapter 6 verse 10 God is not unjust as to overlook your labor of love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do Proverbs 15 verse 3 this passage is often quoted to highlight the negative side of it but the eyes of the Lord are in every place keeping watch over the evil and the good So he sees your ministry. He sees you serving. So remember, the Lord sees. And it is in his heart to reward that. Every week, often quietly, it happens here in the body. So I just want to hold before you as we wrap up our time here, that glorious prospect that God might use you to serve his people. Just hold that before you. I will tell you, and there's a subjective sense here. It is one of my favorite experiences in life to, come, to walk away from an encounter and say, I don't understand why, but it may be that the Lord used me today. That's, and, and, and I'm jealous to, to see that as your experience as well. How might the Lord use you in ministry to this body? It's why he blessed you. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God, the God of Father, uh, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction so that you may be able to comfort others who are in the same affliction with the comfort which we ourselves receive by God. The God of all comfort comforts you in order that you may be able to comfort others who are in the same affliction. We are pipe and not pump. We are conduit. We are not in manufacturing. We are in distribution. What we take from the Lord, we distribute. What we've received from him, we want to be free and generous in service to the body. I love, love, love Titus. Love Titus. The last few years, I've loved him more than I ever have. And are there any Titus here? I probably love you too. But I'm thinking about Titus in the Bible. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 4 through 8. The apostle was just pouring his life out, and he was in a low place. 
He was in a low place. He said, when we came to Macedonia, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 7. When we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest and we were afflicted at every turn. So what he was saying was, we're not sleeping very good. Our bodies, aren't, our bodies have no rest. And everywhere we look, feels like we're surrounded. We're afflicted at every turn. Fightings without. So conflict by those around us and fears within. So our, our hearts are grieved inside. But God, listen to this, but God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you, Corinth. As he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, and I rejoiced still more. What's he saying? Hey, who, who comforted Paul? God comforted Paul. Who did he use? Titus. And you know what Titus did? Where did Titus get it? He got it from Corinth. So what Titus got from Corinth, Titus took to Paul. And what Paul got from Titus from Corinth, he gave to us in the book of 2 Corinthians. I just want to hold before you that prospect. We open the discussion as a discussion for people who apprehend the gospel and the verbs that follow it. How about this one? In love. In love. Just serve one another. You're deputized. You don't have to raise your hand. You're deputized. In love. Serve one another. Father, help us to that end. All of us, would you help us to that end to, to grow in our love? Lord, if that is deficient, and it very likely is in many cases, um, if that is deficient, would you cause that to expand in our hearts, that our love for one another would deepen? And then beyond that, help us to keep our eyes open where needs are, and may we, out of that love, serve one another. Lord, we praise you. That is not how we earn your favor. Our favor has been secured by the work of Christ. And so that is not how we earn anything from you. It is responsive to grace. It is not endeavoring to secure grace. So we praise you that that is our story. But from that secure place, help us to model our Savior, pour our lives out in ministry. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.